When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hello and welcome to Extra Time, a web-only program from RNZ Sport. I'm Barry Guy. In our final edition of the year, we look back over 2015, the highs and the lows, and offer our choices for the sportsman and sportswoman of the year. It was another outstanding year with numerous New Zealanders standing on top of the world stage. I'm joined by sports editor Stephen Hewson, Joe Porter, Matt Chatterton, Bridget Tunnicliffe and Radio New Zealand International's Vincent Wiley. New Zealand's joint hosting of the Cricket World Cup with Australia got 2015 off to a roaring start as the New Zealand public got behind the Black Caps, who enjoyed their most successful World Cup ever. Sports editor Stephen Hewson covered the event, and Stephen, almost the perfect tournament for the Black Caps and their fans. Yeah, it was a big, big year for, for cricket, all for several reasons, good and good and bad. We had the, the World Cup, as you mentioned there, at the start of the year, and the, the nation got right behind the Black Caps, and, and the way they played the game, it certainly... Uh, made everyone sit up and watch. There was the, the big win against England. Um, they uh, trounced them by uh, well, several wickets. I think they lost three wickets, chasing a total of something like 130. Tim Southey took seven wickets, best bowling performance by a New Zealander in a, in a one-day international. There was the win over the West Indies where Martin Guptill uh, clubbed 200. Uh, the the biggest ever total by a New Zealander in a one day, and I think the first time anyone had gone past two hundred in a one day international. That innings included something like eleven sixes, including one that went right out of Westpac Stadium. Of course, Tom Paul played. They had that 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 big win that win over Australia, that the sort of last ball win or second last ball win, um, in a very very tight match at Eden Park, and then. We look the semi-final against South Africa. I mean that again came down to the just a matter of balls, and and Grant Elliott was uh, the one that clubbed the the winning runs there, a, a six over Dale Stain, which put the Black Caps through to their their first ever World Cup final. Given all of that, it was just such a shame that the the final sort of ended up uh, sort of a, a bit of a damp squid, really, because. Uh, the uh, the Black Caps didn't didn't play to to their potential. Um, they were a better team than than what possibly the the uh, final said or showed. But in in the scheme of things, you've got to say it was a great performance. First time they'd ever got to the final, so they finished runners up. And uh, I think yeah, I think it was just the shame that they didn't quite do themselves justice in that 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 last match. If you look through the rest of the year, there was tours to uh, England uh, and uh, and Australia also. Uh, talking about England, we had the Chris Cairns trial over there and the emergence perhaps of Kane Williamson as um, one of the best batsmen ever. Yeah, I mean, England, it was a drawn series, a good good effort over there. Um, Australia, the series was lost 2-0. That Disappointing there because, I mean, they, they are a better team than that su- result might suggest. A 1-0 series loss would have possibly been a, a fairer assessment. And, of course, in all of that, that uh, that three-test series, it was the pink ball test in, in Adelaide, which a historic moment there. Um, Chris Kent, yeah, I mean, uh, Brendan McCullum was uh, sort of at the forefront of things, wasn't he, over this year, through the World Cup leading the side and then having to 
or giving testimony in that uh, perjury trial of Chris Cairns in London where he testified that Chris Cairns had approached him um, to, to match fix in, in India. As we subsequently know, Cairns was found not guilty. And then uh, just a few days ago, we've got uh, McCullum announcing his retirement. So uh, he's certainly been among the headlines, uh, Brendan McCullum, this year for, for cricket. Um, Kane Williamson, as you mentioned, yeah, most runs by a New Zealander in a, in a calendar year and in test cricket. He scored something like, uh, what, five five centuries and eight tests this year. He's averaging over 90, um, and he's uh, he's just uh, he's just quite... Uh, outstanding. I mean, Brendan McCullum's labelled him a, a genius, and uh, it seems too that he's going to be the one that's uh, appointed to take over from Brendan McCullum. Thanks, Stephen. This is Extra Time with Barry Guy. The 2015 netball season was highlighted by the World Cup in Sydney in August. The Silver Ferns weren't given much of a chance of winning the title on Australian soil. However, a victory over the Diamonds early in the competition saw hopes rise. However, it wasn't to be with a loss to the home side in the final. Nepal reporter Bridget Tunnicliffe, what did the Ferns' results this year tell us? Um, well, a huge improvement on the last couple of years, really. You know, last year we just couldn't beat them and we couldn't even get close. Um, that final against them in the the Commonwealth Games in Glasgow was hugely disappointing. Um, this year we've finished the year three wins apiece, three to them, three to us. So that's a huge improvement. Um, and what what I think was most promising to finish the year off was the two games on Australian soil when we first beat them in Melbourne and then we went over to Perth and beat them again. So that's, that's pretty significant to get two back-to-back wins on Australian soil. I just had a run-through of the test match history between the two sides. The last time that we had back-to-back wins against Australia, well, I don't really count... November 12 and September 13 because of two different years. We'll forget about that. But going back to September 2012, we had two back-to-back wins against them. So it's taken us three years to get you know back to that sort of level pegging with them. So, yeah, a, a huge improvement. So was there a significant change within the side perhaps that you know led to that? Yeah, for me, um, without doubt, it was introducing Bailey Mears as the starting goal shooter. It's amazing how just having that one change in the team can have like a ripple effect throughout the whole side. It just changed the attacking style of the team. Um, you know, in the last couple of years, the feeders have really struggled to get the ball. Um, Catherine Latu, despite putting up you know amazing accuracy on the shot, um, it was always difficult to get the ball into her. And you know, what what's the use in having a great shooting conversion rate if you can't actually get the person the ball? So yeah, I think um, Bailey Mees, she's really exciting. She's not the complete article the finished article yet so I'm looking forward to seeing her development. So you sound quite positive about next year? Yeah I am I think I I am a little concerned about the defensive end now that you know we we've lost Casey Corpua she um, you know she's going to be out for a year and who knows if she'll come back after having a baby and I've never really been too concerned about the defensive end. It's usually the attacking end. But, yeah, it'll be interesting to see who of the young defenders puts their hands up in the absence of Casey Corpua. So I, I think we're possibly a bit thin on the ground with, with defenders who are really, you know, standing out for us. Um, so hopefully next year someone will put up their hand. And it's a huge job for whoever gets the goalkeeper start, starting bid because they're basically their job 
when we come against, come up against the Australians, let's face it, that's that's who we're always talking about. We're talking about our line, starting lineup. Who who is going to be able to contain Caitlin Bassett? For me, she is the number one player in the world at the moment. She for Australia is like Van Dyke was for New Zealand at her peak. That's how dominant she is. So it's a huge job for whoever gets it. Many thanks, Snipple reporter Bridget Tunnicliffe. Perhaps the biggest event for the country in 2015 was the Rugby World Cup in England. The Super Rugby season was to serve as a bit of a trial for the World Cup and New Zealand teams did well. The Highlanders beating the Hurricanes in the final. Fellow rugby reporter Vinnie Wiley joins me now. And Vinnie, not many people would have picked the Highlanders as their number one team at the start of the season. I wonder if even the Highlanders had themselves as the number one pick for the competition. Um, The previous year they made the playoffs and I for one and I suppose a lot of people probably thought, oh, that was a pretty good effort for them um, because, you know, they've got a three or four exceptional players within their squad, but um, a, a lot of them are sort of unsung heroes or I guess you could say journeymen, and that's probably being unfair after what they've achieved. Um, but uh, I think a lot of people were surprised that they made the playoffs or maybe didn't realise it. And, you know, to make them again was uh, an, another good effort, especially in a year where they had to manage their players uh, ahead of the World Cup, some of them. Um, but... They delivered when it counted, and I think Jamie Joseph really found a way to, when he had to rest Ben Smith, uh, Malachi Fikatoa, and Aaron Smith, uh, he did it strategically at certain games, and they seemed to have planned their season superbly and, and just sort of uh, timed things right, and even if you might say the Hurricanes were maybe a, a better man-to-man and, and all that, in the end, uh, their tactics in the final uh, and their execution is what got them there, and, and that's what matters. I think, yes, the coaching staff did an outstanding job this year because if, if you look at them, they played well as a team, and uh, as you said, not the individuals that perhaps the uh, Hurricanes had. And when it came to international representation, you, you've always talked about the two Smiths, Fikatoa and Naholo, uh, as making the All Blacks. Lima Sapawanga got called up to play that key game uh, in Johannesburg for the All Blacks and did an outstanding job, was talked about as an outsider for the World Cup squad. And uh, the Rugby Championship, it was a shortened version this year, uh, and Australia came out on top. Rather ironic, you know, when you look back in 2011, Australia won the Rugby Championship that year as well, which I always felt was a good sign for the All Blacks going into the World Cup. And it was interesting during the World Cup, they, you know, the media and the fans sort of got on the All Blacks because they weren't convincing in the pool play. And then Steve Hansen comes out and says, oh, we're holding back a bit. There's something, you know, stuck up my sleeve and that sort of thing. Um, and he seemed to be correct. You know, things uh, in the in the playoff uh, series, uh, they really came into their own. Well, he's got the track record to, to back up those claims, I guess. But, I mean, <laughs> I think everyone was, was starting to doubt him by that point because, you know, it, it wasn't just that they weren't playing well. It's that they were playing incredibly ordinary and uh, there wasn't an obvious improvement from game to game against teams that weren't, you know, particularly good. Um, or certainly not at the All Black standard. But uh, to his credit, as you say, w- w- when it mattered, uh, they shifted up probably about seven or eight gears. I mean, that, that France game of the quarterfinal, you, what you went from is at the end of the group stage, Australia were being talked about as the favourites. They'd beaten England, they'd beaten Wales, and a couple of teams that were quite ordinary in the tournament, to be frank, and in the so-called pool of death. Um, and New Zealand were being doubted significantly. Within one week, Australia had a very scratchy uh, game uh, to get through in the quarterfinals against Scotland. And, of course, the All Blacks were just utterly exceptional against France in, in every facet of the game. 
and, and, and everything changed from there. People knew that the All Blacks could deliver when it mattered. The, the big guns came through, um, importantly, uh, on the occasion, and it obviously just flowed from there. I think you're right in that uh, I wasn't particularly impressed with a, a lot of the other sides in the World Cup. I don't think perhaps they had their timing as well as uh, the All Blacks did. You know, England, obviously. Uh, Australia got close to it. Uh, South Africa gave the All Blacks you know, a bit of a hurry up in the, uh, in the semi-finals, but the All Blacks were always in control there. And they just had the, the experience. You know, there was talking about some of the old guys were too old, but they had the experience to get them through. And they had, you know, the likes of Nehemilna Scudder, some excitement there. Bowden Barrett came on, added a spark. They had just really the all-round game to, to get them through. And and in the end, it seemed that everything just sort of went to, went to plan. Uh, and they came, they came out on top and were deserved winners. You sort of look back on it now and you think, oh, well, of course, of course that's what happened. Of course, you know, you look at the team and think, well, of course they won. And But at the time, naturally, you're, you know, you're nervous and you think, oh, this could happen, that could happen. I certainly think if a team was going to beat us, it was going to be Australia. Um, you know, David Pocock was in exceptional form throughout that World Cup tournament. Hooper played well also. Um, Bernard Foley's maybe not as much of a match winner, but he was a pretty steady influence at, at first five there. And, um, you know, some of their other guys were playing well. The likes of Israel Folau, I think he was under injury cloud for much of the tournament. Some of those guys didn't quite reach the heights. But, you know, there were times where they played really well and they are the sort of team that, you know, on their day they, they could absolutely beat the All Blacks, um, as they did earlier this year. But, uh, as you say, the big players came through and, uh, you know, that great mix of youth and uh, experience and... Uh, Thank goodness. Looking forward to 2016 because it'll be a little bit of a new look side for the All Blacks. Dan Carter, Ma'an Nonu and Conrad Smith are left, gone overseas. Tony Woodcock and Kevin Mialamu retired, as did Richie McCaw, one of the big stories of 2015 following the World Cup success. Uh, no surprises there, and everyone would agree that he's been an outstanding All Black and um, deserves his time now away flying helicopters and relaxing somewhat, no doubt. But in the space of, um, you know, a week, we had uh, quite, uh, uh, you know, a lot of uh, un unfortunate, sad news in a way. You know, McCall retiring and, of course, uh, John Alamu dying uh, somewhat prematurely when things seem to be going so well for him. Yeah, I mean, he's, you know, he's always said himself, hasn't he? He's been uh, on the dialysis for so long with his kidneys and... Um, was looking for a second transplant and had said that, you know, he wanted to stay alive long enough to see his kids reach 21. And I guess we always knew with that illness that it was a risk that he might uh, die before his time, And but, but you never really expected. And as you say, he seemed really healthy. He was at the World Cup. He was active. He was doing a lot of sponsor stuff. And obviously, you know, he's an icon at the World Cup. And, um, you know, that was kind of his moment to, to sort of, you know, be in the spotlight again. And it's just a tragedy because he is probably the most famous individual rugby player ever, perhaps the guy that changed the face of the sport more than anyone else. Um, and, uh, yeah, it just seems such a real shame. But, um, yes, in, indeed a bizarre contrast. Um, but um, I, I, it's also, you know, in, in these times of sadness, it's, it's lovely to have all the tributes and, and to sort of, you know, see those memories of his exceptional performances, which, of course, so many of those great performances were done when he wasn't actually 100% at his best. And, you know, a number of people have said... Uh, over the years, that imagine if Jonah Lomu was 100% fit, how good would he have been? You know, he was such an exceptional rugby player, uh, despite uh, having to overcome so much adversity. Thanks, Finney. This is Extra Time with Barry Guy. There was much anticipation for the New Zealand Warriors in 2015, as there is in most NRL seasons. However, injuries and inconsistency wrecked their chances once again. Joe Porter, you followed the season this year. What did you make of it? 
Yeah, a disappointing season in the Warrior for the Warriors in the end. Andrew McFadden's first full season in charge as coach, and like you said, much was expected with Matthew Elliott leaving and, and a and a promised change of culture within the side. However. They ended up winning nine games and losing 15 and finishing well outside the top eight. And while they started quite well and were pushing towards the top four in the first quarter of the season, they never really showed any kind of form of consistency. And once Sean Johnson was injured about halfway through the year to a season-ending ankle injury, their star playmaker and who had pulled them out of the, the depths of bad results before their season was effectively over. So very, very disappointing, inconsistent. Team selection was all over the place. Players not showing up fit. Guys like Conrad Hurrell not living up to their potential. So ultimately very, very disappointing. And, and certainly in 2016, they'll putting, be putting a lot of stock on the big-name signings of Roger Tuivasa-Sheck and Isaac Luke as well to get them into the top eight because it was a disappointing 2015. There's no doubt about it. And the Kiwis, uh, they started the, well, uh, the year well with that uh, one-off test against Australia. Yep, only their second ever Anzac Test win over Australia in 18 years. I think it was their first one in 17 years. Uh, Their first Anzac Test win in Australia, they'd only won one before, and that was in Auckland all the way back in 1998, I believe. So that was a watershed moment, and it was also the first time they'd beaten the Kangaroos in three consecutive games since 1954. I think it was 62 years anyway. So the first time in 62 years they've beaten Aussie three times in a row. So a fairly good season for the Kiwis. However, they went to England on the end of year tour, and whilst they had a lot of injuries and a lot of their star players out and were budding uh, new names in the halves and, and trying to, I guess, build for the future, they lost that series uh, 2-1, losing the the title decider or the the three-match series decider to England and, and what was a fairly dis- disappointing performance. However, they still managed to hold on to their world number one ranking, so the Kiwis at the top of the rankings going into 2016 and, and a fairly good year for them despite the fact they lost that end of year tour. So just overall, the Warriors and the Kiwis, are you uh, optimistic for 2016? Yeah, the Warriors have got a much better chance. I mean, they've already been talked up in the Australian media quite a bit, which is unusual for them. Uh, like I said, Roger Tuivasa-Sheck at fullback, possibly the NRL's best. Isaac Luke, one of the NRL's best hook, uh, hookers coming as well. So two massive signings there that will cost a lot of money. If Sean, Sean Johnson will be back fit and healthy. So they've got some real star power, especially in the back line there. Hopefully their forwards can maintain the momentum and build some consistent performances to give the guys like Johnson and Tuivasa-Sheck a good platform to work off. There's been worries about the culture at the Warriors. Sam Tompkins, the English fullback, who was admittedly a little bit of a flop in the NRL, had made comments, somewhat veiled, somewhat not, and reference to the lack of professionalism at the Warriors and the way they train and the culture perhaps not quite being up to scratch. These sorts of mentions have been made before in trying to explain the Warriors' inconsistent performances, and perhaps he's right. So They've got a new CEO, though, now, and Jim Doyle, who worked wonders at the NZRL, New Zealand Rugby League, and was at the NRL and, and highly respected over there. And, in fact, many people would like him to go and take over as CEO of the NRL. So he should hopefully be putting things in place that will turn that problem with culture around. McFadden gets a second bite of the cherry. He's got the players to do it this year, so basically he has to perform. They have to make the top eight at the very least. And otherwise, I'd say McFadden will be another coach to get to be shown the back door. The Kiwis... Basically, they're trying to rebuild a little bit after having lost a fair few players um, and guys moving on. But the world number ones, as good as Australia at the moment, there's so many Kiwis in the NRL that they've always got a good chance. So they'll be feeling pretty confident and optimistic about their chances. The Warriors will be a much more intriguing prospect. Thanks for that, Joe. This is Extra Time, a web-only sports show from RNZ Sport. 
One of the outstanding performances of 2015 came from the teenage golf star Lydia Ko. She became the number one ranked player in the world as she continued to win on the golf courses around the world. Matt Chatterton is our golf reporter. And Matt, you'd have to say 18-year-old Ko had possibly the sporting performance of the year. Yes, you certainly would. She has gone about her year very well indeed, in my opinion. Uh, you know, she's come back to world number one. World number one. She's won her first major at the Evian Championship in France, which a lot of people were wondering maybe when was that going to happen because, you know, for the last two or three years, we here in New Zealand kind of expected her to win it sooner rather than later despite her young age. But she managed to do that. She's also claimed... Uh, the LPGA Tour Player of the Year award. Uh, she is only the fir- she is only the fourth person uh, in LPGA Tour history to go from winning the Rookie of the Year in her rookie season to the following year winning the LPGA Tour Player of the Year. Uh, another person that's won that is Annika Sorenstam. So when you compare those uh, two names, you kind of think, wow, you know, she's uh, she's on the road to a lot of success. So Matt, what makes her so good? Well, I'd have to say that one part of Lydia's game that sort of stands out amongst the rest is just her composure on on course, her ability just to not let anything get to her. She seems so rock solid, like you could throw anything at her and she seems as though she'd be able to, you know, find a way around uh, achieving whatever it is you set out for her. Um, Also, I mean, her game, like her actual game itself is incredibly uh, sound, her Iron play is great. I mean, she is one of the uh, one of the most consistent players in terms of uh, fairway to green. She hits something like I think about eighty to ninety percent of greens in regulation, which is just unbelievable when you consider some of the courses she's playing on. Um, and she's also a very good uh, short game player as well. She can putt and chip very well. But yeah, it's really getting from the fairway to the green where she gets that proximity to the pin that is probably the standout for Lydia. And on the men's tour, Danny Lee had a pretty good year. Yeah, well, Danny uh, f- finally sort of lived up to the uh, expectations that many thought back here would have happened a long time ago. He got his first win on the PGA Tour at the Greenbrier Classic, uh, and he finished inside the top 10 on the FedEx Cup, which is uh, the season-long tour, which is really, really impressive for Danny. finished ninth overall. I mean, he, for the year, he earned about $4 million, and then he got on top of that a bonus from finishing ninth in the FedEx Cup. So he, even though he only won one tournament, he actually ended up making more money than what Lydia did on the LPGA Tour, and she won five for the year. So, yeah, it's been an incredible year for Danny, and he's had a number of our top ten finishes. I think he had eight all up. He had a second and a couple of thirds. So, no, it's been a very good year, very consistent. I mean, we've started to see that Danny can really start to build those four-round tournaments together because up until maybe even just as uh, recently as last year, he was struggling to put a four-round performance together. He would have three good rounds and then just one would let him uh, let him go a little bit stray, which is a bit of a shame, but yeah, it seems to have changed this year. Uh, this new season, he's only played in uh, two two events and uh, he's had to withdraw from one of them due to a thumb injury. Uh, but yeah, it looks as though uh, 2016 might also be another good year for Danny. Right, it's time for us to look at uh, the possible uh, Halberg contenders for 2015. There were uh, world champions all over the place. Lauren Boyle in swimming, Linda Willemson in cycling, Lisa Carrington in canoeing, uh, Mahi Drysdale in uh, rowing, and the men also. We've got uh, Daniel Carter, who was the World Rugby Player of the Year, Danny Lee, the golfer, Scott Dixon won uh, IndyCar 
series once again. Winston Reid, the footballer. And amongst those in contention for Team of the Year are the All Blacks, uh, the Black Caps, the rowing pair of uh, Hamish Bond and Eric Murray. The Breakers won their title. And the Sailors, Peter Burling and Blair Chuk. So there's plenty to choose from. Let's start with uh, Matt Chatterton first. Matt, how do you see it going? Sports, Sportsman of the Year. Uh, I mean, it's probably between a few people for me. Uh, the likes of Dan Carter, Kane Williamson. If I had to choose, I'd probably go with Kane Williamson myself. I just think the year he's had has been nothing short of incredible. He's done some wonderful things on the uh, on the cricket pitch and really, really thoroughly deserved getting to a number one in ICC Test rankings this year. He's he's batted superbly the entire year. In terms of the women, I would say it's between Lydia and Lisa, um, Lisa Carrington. I have a feeling that Lisa to be honest, deserves it uh, this year. She's uh, defended her K1 and K500, I believe it is, uh, titles, which is which is fantastic. Um, she's yeah, an absolute star of the sport, and I think she would thoroughly deserve sportswomen. Uh, and then team of the year. Uh, I'd probably, being New Zealand's number one sport, I'm going to say that the All Blacks are going to take it away. Uh, Supreme, mm, tough one again. Uh, yeah, probably have to go with the All Blacks, I think. I think the year they've had... Yeah, they'll take it out, I'm sure. Thanks, Matt. Okay, Vinny, your turn. Uh, well, um, you know, you look at look at the men there, and um, you know, Dan Carter had a fantastic year. He's uh, won a number of awards already with world rugby and whatnot. Although uh, I think it's a shame that, from a rugby point of view, that Martin Nonu wasn't there. You know, many uh, would say that he was possibly the outstanding All Black of the year, and also at Super Rugby level. Um, but of the nominees there, uh, it's quite even. I feel like Dan Carter might win just because of the year the All Blacks have had and the contribution he's made to the sport over the years. Um, an Olympic year, um, or prior to an Olympics, you don't typically give it to an Olympian. I think maybe Scott Dixon. I mean, that's a tough competition that he's a part of, Scott Dixon. Um, and I think he's won it maybe four times now. Um, and it's never easy. Um, and, and he finds a way to stay up there. And, um, you know, I, I think that was a great achievement. And that was a very dramatic ending, too. We were all gripped to the uh, screen watching the end of... Uh, that final IndyCar race where he, um, you know, wasn't favoured to, to come through. He had to have a few things go his way. So I'd, I'd give it to Scott Dixon. Sportswoman of the Year, um, I think it's got to be Lydia Coe. She's won it previously for less achievements. And now having finally won her breakthrough major, uh, it seems uh, fitting, uh, and, and the youngest to do so, it seems fitting that, you know, she should win it again. Uh, team of the Year, I think it's got to be the All Blacks, really, um, you know, to, to win it. Um, back to back uh, to do it as they did uh, seems seems only fair, and uh, uh, overall award um, it's hard to go past the All Blacks. You know it's the national sport. It's back to back. A lot of history was made there, and yeah, I, I think if they're ever get, I mean if the All Blacks don't win the overall award this year, when are they going to win it? Cheers, Vinny. So Bridget, uh, who are you pushing for perhaps for the Halbergs? Woman of the Year for me is Lydia Ko. She continues to defy her age. Um, she's so cool under pressure. And isn't it nice turning on the TV and watching international coverage? You know it's being beamed across the world and people talking about Lydia Ko from New Zealand, Lydia Ko from New Zealand. And people, analysts across the world are so impressed with her. So, yet she's my pick. Sports Man of the Year, I'm going to say Kane Williamson. Again, what stood out for me with that test, with that series against recent series against the Australians, was the Australian commentators who never, never um, are known to be highly complimentary of anyone apart from their own players. Um, they 
You know, they were yeah. just, um, they gushed over yeah. Kane Williamson and it was really nice to hear people complimenting him. And just in the last day or two, he shot to the top of the world rankings and for batsmen in, in the test arena. So, yeah, that's him for me. Um, and team of the year, um, well, I, I guess it's, bet- for me, it's between the All Blacks and the Black Caps. Black Caps for me, moment of the year. My moment of the year was when Grant Elliott hit the six to send us to the World Cup final. As a child, I, I one of my first sporting memories as a child was us losing that um, semi-final to Pakistan in '92. It was really awful. <laughs> I, I've kind of scarred from that. So that moment when Grant Elliott um, sent us to the World Cup final was a huge moment. We're jumping around, clapping in my lounge. So it was great. But yeah, team of the year have to go with the All Blacks. Heaps of pressure. They work so hard. They have to. You know, they have to live and breathe that game for four years leading up to that pinnacle event, and they just did it so well. Joe Porter, what about you? Yeah, well, I, I guess the emotional pick here would be Dan Carter, wouldn't it? Signs off of his immense rugby career for New Zealand, the All Blacks, the Crusaders, with a World Cup victory, having missed the 2011 tournament win with injury. So he's, he's kind of your heartstrings pulling there. But I think looking at the list, Kane Williamson stands out for me. Scott Dixon, of course, won his fourth IndyCar championship and it was on a dramatic last day. Uh, very exciting and entertaining. However, he's, he's done it before. And Williamson's emergence in 2015 as the world's number one test-ranked batsman uh, is quite phenomenal. For the Sportswoman of the Year, I think it's a fairly obvious choice with Lydia Ko, 18 years old. She's won a youngest ever women's winner of a golf major. Youngest golfer, women's golfer to get to, what is it, five LPGA Tour titles. She's just got so many accolades this year, it's impossible to remember all of them. X amount of tour wins, finished the year, ranked world number one, won the money tour list. I mean, it just the list goes on and on, and keep forgetting she's 18 years old. So she is a true phenomenon, and she will win that Sportswoman of the Year, and she should probably hands down win the Supreme as well, I would say. it's She's so far ahead of anyone in terms of international success that it's impossible not to pick her for the overall Supreme Award. Team of the Year, I'd go with the All Blacks. Well, Stephen, uh, your thoughts now? Sportsman, woman and uh, team, perhaps, and one of those, the overall winner for the Hellbergs? Uh, sport, sportsman? Uh, uh, well, I don't know, but, but, bit of a toss-up there. I mean, uh, Dan Carter, Kane Williamson, Scott Dixon, I suppose, are my front runners. Um, Dan Carter, he had a good World Cup, but he didn't have a flash rest of the year, so I'm, I'm not going to go for him. Kane Williamson? Um, yeah, I think I'll plump for, for Kane Williamson, but an honourable mention for Scott Dixon. And the woman, is it uh, a one-person race there? Yeah, it? Lydia Coe. Yeah, no, 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 no questions there. Uh, a couple of contenders for the team, though, would you? You know, we've got the yachties and the rowers, but really it's... Um, yeah, know, again, the... a one-horse race, to be honest. I think the the All Blacks, I mean, you can't go the Black Caps. They didn't win. Um, the Breakers, well, they've, that's, you know, generally a domestic competition. Um, yeah, All Blacks. Hands down. And the Supreme, the... All Blacks again. Yep, straightforward, I think, there. Um, so there we've solved it for the Hellberg judges. Thanks, Stephen, and to the rest of my colleagues. That's Extra Time for 2015. Thanks for listening over the year. You can follow us on Twitter at RNZ Sport. Enjoy your holidays. Bye for now. Tired of ads barging into your favourite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. 
That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads.